Good. All right, let's uh, let's pray one more time. I'm keenly aware this morning, Father, of of my need for your grace, for your <coughs> Holy Spirit, your enabling. Um, we're not even oftentimes very good at spouting off our own thoughts in, in an accurate way that doesn't come across the wrong way. Uh, even more so when it comes to the eternal Word of God. And I'm always comforted by what Paul says that you have this treasure in uh, plastic garbage bags. Uh, just plastic common clay pots that, that are just common containers that are just Break one, you could buy another one. It's a big deal. And, uh, <coughs> the treasure is not in us, but in your word, uh, in the truth it contains, and the power, the excellency of the power is not of us, but of you. And so, draw down on that this morning. We ask for you for it, and ask that you would uh, do work in my heart as well here as we seek to wash ourselves again in the water of your word. Pray that you would accomplish this, and and uh, we do pray for Diane, Diane's family, uh, Kelly's family, I guess, out there, uh, as they mourn Diane's loss, and, um, and and we also think of our families too. This time of year, <clears throat> we get together with family members and who don't share our uh, affinity for Christ and for uh, and an appreciation for this celebration and uh, so but it is a good time uh, when when Christmas is kind of pushed in our face um, whether we like it or not and uh, it's a good time to reflect on these things and we do thank you for the greatest gift ever given in your son and as we look at the closure of uh, his public ministry here in John I'm just mindful of how um, glorious it is on one hand, an invitation, and yet on the other hand, how dangerous it can be um, in terms of the warning of judgment and condemnation if we ignore it. So we do pray for ourselves first and then also for others uh, around us that uh, all of us need your grace. And we pray for it in, in Jesus' name. Amen. I got notes this morning. Okay. I think I read everything through, and, uh, but we may discover other typos as we go. But we'll see. If you are um, outlining the book of John, kind of kind of like the book of Romans, there's many ways to divide it up, I guess. You've got the <clears throat> prologue, and then you've got, you know, but basically Romans is divided, you remember when we studied Romans, kind of into two main, main sections. Right? You have your doctrine, then you have your application. Uh, in John, it's, it's kind of a similar division, um, but... Instead of application as the first big section, 
it's the public ministry of Jesus. Okay, chapter 12 is the closure of that big section. So we're going to feel that as we get into this text here. We're going to hear those closing words. And uh, that's kind of what I'm talking about here in our opening um, opening paragraphs on your notes. And um, John is going to, after, I was, I've been struggling for weeks, maybe even months, to kind of wrap my head around what is really going on here in this, particularly this text that we're in, um, because Jesus kind of, at first glance, it seems to be sort of almost random statements that he's making. It's not like, a, you know, it's not like reading Matthew 5 through 7, right? The Sermon on the Mount, and it's got this whole flow to it, right? And it's got this beautiful, it's almost like this little thing, and this little thing, and this little <coughs> thing, and they, they, you know, it's, it's hard. What's the framework here? You know, I felt like I was missing something. And then, and, uh, and then really, uh, it came home for me when I began to compare it to the other gospels. And then I realized what, what John is doing here. Okay. And, um, and what he's saying. So effectively what we have in the rest of the half of this chapter, remember, we've looked at the, um, what many people call the triumphal entry. Uh, we called it the presentation of King Jesus, God's Passover lamb, right? And um, we've looked at that. All four Gospels talk about it. We compared the Gospel accounts and and, uh, and, and looked at that and then the events that led up to it. And, and John's, um, of course, in chapter 11 gives us uh, the raising of Lazarus, which really adds fuel to the fire of the enthusiasm and so forth. So we've seen all of that. But now we turn a corner here, and first is Jesus' words, and that's why I've titled it here, our notes this way, Jesus' final words to the world, okay? So this is, this is John's account of what Jesus says at the closure of his public ministry, okay? If you understand that, you'll understand this section here, okay? Um, there's a lot more that he said, and that's what we're going to look at here. This, we probably won't get past that today, just looking at what the other Gospels give us in terms of what he says between the time that he presents himself to the people in, in his entry to Jerusalem and the time he's crucified. Okay, There's a lot of other things that the other Gospels give us, but John is summarizing that for us here. Then after that, the rest of chapter 12 is sort of John's own reflection from the Old Testament scriptures as a seasoned um, apostle who had led many to faith himself and had discipled many and had been a key component of the establishment of the early church and so forth, right? Um, and he, from that standpoint, then he gives us, um, I'm, I'm kind of debating what to call it, but I'm kind of leaning toward an, an epilogue of Jesus' public ministry. It's kind of like he starts the whole book with a prologue, right? But John also caps off his own summary, his own sort of reflection of Jesus' ministry. And it's summarized in verse 37 where he says, even though he did so many miracles, they effectively rejected him. He wasn't the Messiah they wanted. Okay. 
as sad in a way. Um, and John does allow for some exceptions in there. Uh, you know, he says even some of the priests believed and you know that kind of thing, but they were afraid of what other people thought. And, uh, but then he also puts in there some verses. Um, again, preview of instructions. Some verses from the Old Testament. Remember, I mentioned to you last time we're going to start seeing more quotations from the Old Testament as we go along. Matthew's gospel has Old Testament throughout the whole thing. John, John is really kind of saving that more for the end of his gospel. And, and I think the reason for that is that those Old Testament scriptures become very important for establishing the hope that he and the other disciples had and that we have that this wasn't an accident. This wasn't just God overwhelmed with the forces of, of, of Rome and it, uh, the Jews coming to arrest him. And we're going to see that when we get there in chapter 18. There was something like conservatively 200 soldiers and, and trained guards that came to arrest Jesus, right? So it wasn't it wasn't uh, Jesus being overwhelmed by the, the, the tide of human power that just, it's been God's plan all along. Right. And so those Old Testament quotations are a very important part of making that case. Right. So again, that's sort of some framework for us, but we are definitely uh, nearing the end of the first major section of John, which is the public ministry of Jesus. Okay. Everybody have notes? No. Yeah, my wife didn't get notes. <laughs> okay. Unless this is it, I can Nope, nope. nope. You get, you get notes. Aww. Good to see you, baby. All right. Let's let's uh, dive into this first page in our notes here together. <clears throat> Again, the title of our section here is Jesus's final words to the world, and uh, by the world here, that'll become more apparent as we go along. Remember that word world itself is very important in the Gospel of John. Man, it is all over this book. You ever done a word study on that? You know how many times we have many notes back. I actually did that. I pulled out every single verse and printed really small type, you know. And uh, and so that's that word cosmos, right? It just means a system or an organization. Here lately I've been kind of interested to, just a side note, you know, as we're getting into Christmas time, uh, Matthew's account particularly but all of them, and, and we've looked at this too with the kingship of, of Jesus, or we're going to look at it with the kingship of Jesus coming up particularly. We have looked at it, and we're going to see it again in chapters 18 and 19. But um, contrast the system versus the kingdom. Kind of an interesting thought. You know, the system, the cosmos versus the kingdom. You know, there's similarities, but there's differences as well. And, and it's, it's, it's just interesting. You don't ever hear that word world really applied to the organization of God. It just doesn't have a cosmos. He has a kingdom, which is interesting. So anyway, side note, just I'm not sure I know what all that is yet. I'm just resolving that. But uh, some interesting thoughts. So I, Jesus' final words to the world means what, what, what I'm trying to say there is, is this is his, again, his public uh, a summary of his public words to the system, so to speak, particularly the Jews, but also more broadly to the rest of the world, his public words. Okay, so let's read this together. 
as we near the end of the first 12 chapters of John, we see a turn in the narrative towards a closing of Jesus' public ministry. Verse 36b makes this point unmistakably, quote, when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them, end quote. Like the final closing of a great door, these words carry the weight of judgment against a public that had grown accustomed to hearing him and seeing his miraculous signs. Still yet, for many, he was not the Messiah they wanted. In this passage, John summarizes several days of cleansing the temple, teaching and healing in the temple, and the very pointed, very serious words of judgment that Jesus gives to the nation in general, but especially to its leaders. His words in verses 36, 35 through 36a stand like a banner over the many things he did in the days between his celebrated entry to Jerusalem and just before his crucifixion, summarizing the warning and warning and invitation he extends to anyone who will listen. And these are the these are the sort of key verses of our, I think, of our of our passage anyway, of our text. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And then immediately it says right after that, he said these things, went away, and they didn't see him again. <laughs> you know, final warning, <coughs> curtain closed, doors shut. He disappears from public view. There's probably a lesson there for us, too. Yeah, you can feel the weight of that. The other Gospels tell us more of what he did and said during this time. Um, that is, between his the triumphal entry and the crucifixion. Okay. Um, here is a summary from Matthew 21 uh, through 26. Uh, you can get those references there. Mark 11 to 14 and Luke 19 to 22 as named by John MacArthur in his book, One Perfect Life. So again, many, much debt to this book, right? Highly recommended for your library. Uh, even your, it's a great devotional book too, just, you know, each, each of the chapters are not very long, it's, it makes a good daily devotional. Um, but I want you to see here, just in a, in a summary, how much else there is that's recorded in the other Gospels. So, Remember I told you, I'm convinced that what's happening here on God's calendar is, remember he had established the 10th of Nisan as the day that the head of the house, the father, would choose the lamb, the Passover lamb, right? And the Passover lamb would live in the house with the family for four days or so, depending on how you want to count it, okay? And then the 14th of Nisan was when that Passover lamb was to be killed and sacrificed on behalf of that family, right? And it, of course, had the desired effect of endearing that lamb to, uh, um, we were talking about last night, your daughter, I think it was, right? They had the prize-winning goats. Yeah, yeah. And she, she didn't have to kill the, kill the goats and eat them. They were, they were uh, raised for the purpose of being eaten, right? And... Uh, but I just, I didn't say it then, but I was just thinking about this. So, but, you know, it's really, it's one thing 
like like we said before, you go to the store, you buy novice meat, you don't know where it came from, or you don't know about the animal. It's a, you know, this this animal on my plate, what a sweetheart, you know, what, you know, what an impact that had in the, in the lives of the Jewish people when they had to do that with the lamb. How much more the sweet aroma of Christ in the temple ended in such a bloody way, right? You know, that the Father wants us to feel the impact a little bit of our sin and on him as well. Remember, the Father and both the Son is not the Son to submit to the Father and go to the cross. The Father has it personal. It makes it personal. It does. It does. It helps us to get a little taste of what is going on here. And so, so Here's the Lamb of God. A lot, quite a bit of material in these other Gospels um, of what was happening in those days between the Lamb is selected and the Lamb is sacrificed. Okay. So let's just kind of go through that a little bit here. It's on your notes. I just put it in summary form there. Um, we'll touch on, on each of these as we go through. Uh, the first one is Jesus cleanses the temple a second time. Uh, remember, John's gospel is the only gospel, which incidentally happened also on a Passover. What were the Jews supposed to do on the Passover? Cleanse it of all leaven. Right? Yeah, they still do that. We get our idea of spring cleaning from that. So, so they, they and they do. They have. They're very fastidious. They, they go around. They vacuum everything. It all up and, and and this kind of thing. Well, what's just all right? So uh, this Matthew, Mark, and you're familiar with it. Um, let's go on to the next one. Uh, the withered fig tree. Uh, let's see here. By the way, if you have this book, you'll you'll notice um, that right after the the second cleansing of the temple comes our texts, right, in, in the rest of, of John 12. And it's, it, I think it's best that he can do to kind of stick those passage units in with the rest of the flow of this whole thing. Um, but I, I really feel like these are sort of summaries of all of what's happening, rather than just sort of like, you know, chronological time points on the timeline. Does that make sense? Okay. So just keep that in mind when you read it. Uh, the next thing on our list here is the withered fig tree, and that's in Matthew and Mark both, and you remember that. Um, it, it, Jesus is going out of the city in one of these days here, and um, it says, now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried, dried up by the roots. This is, he had cursed it the day before. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. And the disciples saw it and marveled, how did this fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For surely I say to you, if you have faith, whatever, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he thinks he says begun, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you receive them and you will have them. 
and praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. So you remember that. Well, what is the fig tree picture? Israel. Often used in the Old Testament as a fast. The third point is the Jewish leaders confront Jesus. Um, this is in all three accounts there. They just are basically asking him here uh, what authority he's doing that doing this. Uh, for example, it says here, uh, so, and he was teaching daily in the temple. When you read that, don't, that's out of Luke. Don't think Luke is saying, well, that's the sum and substance of his entire ministry. He was there every day in the temple. We know he wasn't, right? What's happening is that in all the, in all the Gospels basically say this because the, this is the flow of Jesus' ministry. He didn't spend a whole lot of time in Jerusalem and Judea in the early part. You know, the very, very early going, he did, you know, we, well, way back in chapter 5 in John's account, the writer already seeking to kill him. He, he's taking this message out in Samaria, right? Galilee, particularly across the Jordan. You know, uh, just these whole, whole areas and going to all the villages and, and even saying, that's the job. He's got to get this coming to the close of his. His ministry. He's really focusing now on this. On all focused on. Uh, is focused on. Really. Speaking words specifically to the nation itself. Okay, when it says there he was teaching daily in the temple, I think it's referring to every in that time period between ten and the song. But the chief priest describes the people sought to destroy him, but were unable to do anything. For people were very attentive to hear him. Right. The popularity of Jesus is and so they came to Jerusalem, he taught, uh, and so forth. And then they said, By what authority you do these things, and who gives authority? And he answers them by saying, Let me ask you a question, uh, which if you tell me likewise, I will answer you by what authority I do things. The baptism of John. <laughs> Remember this one? Where was it from? From heaven or from men? Answer me, Mark says. And they read among themselves, and you know the whole conundrum. And they ultimately said what? We can't do it alone. They knew. They were being Yeah, that's true. By the way, if you try to outsmart God, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to come out for you. No, it doesn't. It's the same. Okay. <clears throat> and then it, it, he also asked you, what do you think? A man had two sons. Apparently, Jesus said this right on the heels of, of, of that answering response to them. 
He's reading out of the book. He's reading, I'm reading out of here too. Wow. I'm reading out of here. Okay, well, can we follow along somewhere in the Bible with this amount? We're following along in your outline. Who's in the outline here? Yeah, this is from the Bible. <laughs> okay, sorry. So again, what, what we're doing is we're establishing what the other Gospels say in the days between the triumphal entry and the Okay. John glosses over that. I'm filling in the rest of the details. Does that make sense? What are the other Gospels? Do the other Gospels? More perfect is Right. So, and then he tells them the parable of the two sons, um, one who, who says, tells, says to them, go work in the vineyard. One says, I will right? And the other one says, I will, but doesn't. Um, so let's move on then. Uh, parable of the land. Um, it's, it's getting more and more intense as well, okay? You can hear the weight of the judgment of God beginning to really settle in on particular leadership of Israel. The parable of the landowner, that's point number four on, on that uh, first page of your notes. Parable of the landowner. Um, and you remember what, again, I'm not going to read all of this here because it's, it's too much for the sake of time. But what was the, what was the parable? Well, and what was its point? Do you remember? Landowner went away on a trip, but the working crops from the harvest. They basically, uh, after rejecting the method, they ended up killing the son, hoping to inherit it. And Jesus turned out and said, God's going to take the kingdom from you and give it to people that are. That he's talking about the Gentiles. He's going to turn the leadership over to the Gentiles. They didn't even take that. You're treating shamefully, right? And here comes the error, right? They say, uh, "What was the reaction of the leadership? Did they get the point?" Yes, they did. They, they took him out and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. They did this son, the uh, son of the vineyard owner. What? <coughs> I like this little part here. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him. He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render him the fruits of their seed in their seasons. Well, they got it right, didn't they? You got the right answer. Jesus said to them, Indeed, he will come and when they heard it, they said, Certainly not. And he looked at them and had scriptures what is written. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. You feel the pressure, right? Through these illustrations, through these parables, what Jesus is doing is he's warning the nation about the coming judgment of God. He is, he's, what he's really doing is he's the, he's the good shepherd from chapter 10, right? And he's come to judge the evil shepherds of Israel, but not in the way that they think necessarily, okay? But the vineyard, the kingdom of God, the tending and care is going to be taken away from them. 
All right, let's move on. Point number five there, the parable of the wedding invitation. Remember this one. What, what was the story and what was the point? What is do? Yeah, the king actually invited. Yeah, servants to go out find anybody with a pulse. (laughs) Sometimes I feel like that's what they do to hire people for government. (laughs) It's not just government, bro. (laughs) Yes. And what is the point of that story, that little parable? Here's what here's what it says at the very end. Okay, here's what Jesus says at the very end. Let's talk about a gut punch. For many are called, but few are chosen. What the, the gate. It's not it's not just enough to hear the invitation. You have to respond, right? You have mm-hmm. to you have to just decide your excuses. And remember, all these people had these excuses, right? Uh, thank you for the invitation, but uh, you know I've got this problem or this issue, and um, and so forth. Uh, it says here that they made light of it to his business, right? Just too busy, too busy for God, too busy for temptation to. You, you say that today, and people say, "Well, I'll, I'll accept him later." Yeah, they may not not know. Yeah. Well, people that's uh, consider themselves too too worried of that. Or like how how works. Yeah. Yeah. They they don't they don't they think they they think that it's not for them. They don't they don't need that. That invitation is what they're is what their people that's coming to that party. We don't need that. Mm-hmm. We are, yes. you know. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's not an honor for them. You know, if the, if the president invited us or something like that, you know, we go. Okay. <clears throat> I don't need that. I got enough for that. That's the same way with the world. I think the Holy Spirit needs to do his in the hearts of individuals. Um, Respond positively to the Holy Spirit working. Others could care less. And this is an example of many who could care less. You gotta remember also that Jesus gave, spoke that uh, he had. That was the thing he said to Isaiah that he had preached to the people. They did not listen. And now yeah. he's closing their eyes and closing their ears and not letting them hear, even if they want to. Mm-hmm. You can cross that line. That's a serious, serious, serious reality. Now, now we're understanding John's story, right? 
He says this to him. So walk in the light while you have it. Take advantage of the opportunity while you have it. Disappears from public view. No one sees you. Let's move on. Um, that was the number five parable of the wedding invitation. Six is the parable where the, oh, sorry, the Pharisees and Herodians test Jesus. Okay. Now, these are, by the way, two groups that normally don't get along well at all. Um, the Pharisees despise the Herodians. Um, the name kind of gives it away. I won't spend a lot of time with this because we're going to move on. But um, the Herodians were basically. The <coughs> and so these two groups didn't get along until it came to their opposition of Jesus. Jesus is a threat to all of them. And so this test, <coughs> um, it says that uh, the, the Pharisees sent to him their disciples with the Herodians to catch him in his words in order to deliver him to the power and authority of the governor. So they're, they're, they're already trying to find some angle with Pilate. Right, and and uh, this the test here is um, they say uh, a teacher always beware of flattery. We know that you are true and rightly teach the way of God and truth. Nor do you show personal favoritism. You do not regard the person of men. Tell us therefore what. Easier or not? <laughs> we got you now. Right? Yeah. Like I said, when you play online games, we got you. You remember? Yes. But what does he say before that? But Jesus perceived their craftiness and their hypocrisy, said to them, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? <laughs> <laughs> show me the tax money bring me a denarius that I may see it so they brought him a denarius and he said to, to them whose image and inscription is this and they said Caesar's and he said to them render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's they could not in his words in the presence of the reason that Jesus is, you may wonder, the earlier parts of the Gospels, why don't you have this? Why don't you have more of this kind of back and forth testing, right, that, that's, that's happening near the end of the God? And the reason is, is that this is the time when Jesus is, is he's finished with that broader ministry, you know, in, in this whole region, what we today call Palestine, effectively. Um, and, and, and now he's focusing in on Jerusalem, and he's there in the temple, and he's accessible to them, and they're trying their best to to hit him and to knock his reputation down in the eye of the public. And uh, and trying to, as you just heard, trying to get any excuse to get him in front of Pilate to get him, you know, punished somewhat. Like crucified. All right, so the next one on our notes is point number seven. Sadducees question Jesus. John doesn't use the word Sadducees, right? We talked about as the chief priests, right? chief priests, not exclusively so, but the majority of the Sadducees were chief priests. They're sort of one and the same. So, all right. So they they question him. 
And this is the fun one about the, the woman who had seven husbands, right? And one dies, and according to the law, his brother is supposed to produce an heir for him, and he dies, and he dies, and so forth, so forth, and so on. My my guess is that this one, this had been. Uh, remember, what did the chief priests slash Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection, right? And so this was their sort of stump the Pharisees question, right? And they had. This was their big, you know, counter argument to the resurrection type of thing. Well, let's try this one on Jesus. And what is his response? He says they don't know the Bible. That's right. Yeah. I love his response. You do error because you know neither the power of God nor the scriptures. <laughs> you are are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God? You think you know the Bible? You don't even know you don't know the Bible, nor do you know the power of God, the character of God, and just what He can do. Your God is too small. Okay, your God is too small. The sons of this age mar marry in marriage, but those who are counted to attain that age in the resurrection from the dead, notice that He affirms resurrection. When they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, um, and so forth. And He answers them. Um, but concerning the dead, when they rise, have you not read what was spoken to you by God in the book of Moses? Remember, these guys only believed in the first right? Moses. They only accepted Moses' authority. Bush passage, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses showed, therefore, that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For all who, for all to, for all lived him. When the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, that's seven. Uh, eight. A scribe of the Pharisees questions Jesus. Do you hear all the questioning? Right, the back and forth, the, the confrontation with the leaders. Um, this is the question about which is the greatest of all. In the law. This was probably another one of the issues. You know, which is the one we, where's the, how do we boil it down, you know? And, and Jesus' answer, the first of the commandments is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your, your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And this is the first and great command, commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And I like this little statement right at the end. He he turns around and and uh, let's see here. Now, when they saw that Jesus answered wisely, he said to him, "You are not far from the kingdom of God." But after that, no one dared question him anymore. 
They're getting the point, right? They're bringing out their big guns, and, and Jesus just waves it off like, you know, it flies, right? No big deal. Uh, so what else happened here? So this scribe uh, these questions, Jesus. Number nine, he's both David's son and David's Lord. How can that be? Remember that? Um, uh, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And therefore David calls him Lord. No response. Okay. Um, that's uh, point nine. Point ten. Now, woe to the Pharisees. Okay. Describes um, and Pharisees. Therefore, whatever they tell you to do, observe, observe and do. But do not do according to works, for they say do not do. They bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. By men, and they make their phylacteries long, broad and enlarge the borders of their garments, right? These are all the outward symbols, you know, the wearing of the little scriptures and everything. Uh, and, and they place the they like they love the best places at feasts, they like being called you know, uh, the VIP seat, right? And, and I read it in the marketplace, Rabbi, and all this. They love the praise of men. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You shut up the kingdom against men. Woe to you, scribes and hip Pharisees, hypocrites. You trap land and sea to win one prophet, and you make him twice a son of hell and yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides. Whoever swears by the temple is, is who say whoever swears by the temple is nothing, but you swear by the gold of the temple is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold of the temple that sanctifies the gold. Whoever swears by the altar it is nothing. You remember all of that, right? It's not the altar that matters, or the gold of the temple. Actually, it's the God who sanctifies all of it, who hears your when you make an oath, you know, well, I why didn't you come through? Well, I swear about gold at the devil. Yeah. Slippery. And they didn't read the fine print. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and neglected the weight matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. You strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He cleanse the outside of the dish and the cup, right? But inwardly, our portion and self-indulgence. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. Remember that? Look good on the outside, inward are full of rot and decay. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our prophets, we would not have been the with them and the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witness against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood, and vipers. Yeah, this isn't John the Baptist, this is Jesus. How can you escape the condemnation? Therefore, indeed, prophets, wise men, and scribes, some of them you will kill and crucify, you will scourge, and you're sinning. 
and persecute from city to city. Because it happened in the days of their fathers. That happened in their time, post-Babylonian um, captivity. Okay, and they'll persecute them from city to city. What's that? That's persecution of the church. That's exactly what they did to Paul, right? They followed him from city to city. That you may, um, that on you may come all the righteous blood of the earth. Uh, the widow's mite. Remember that little story, and that's often held up as a a um, example of tithing. Oh, look at her! She gave uh, John MacArthur has a really great message on that. And I, after listening to what he has to say, looking at the full context of it, uh, particularly Luke's account, <clears throat> which right immediately after that they go out and Jesus, they're looking. All these. It's a system that should have been providing for her, but it's taking her very last bit. It's not a tithing lesson. It's 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 a lesson in the system that should have been giving to her. How evil that system is to take what belongs to a widow who is. In desperate, desperate need. She's not just poor, she's dirt poor. Okay? She's very, very poor. And the system takes her last little bits of, of money. And um, it kind of reminds me, actually, of, of these um, televangelists who will, who will soak those living on what we say today. Fixed income, right? Yeah. And they'll they'll it's gonna bless you. So seed into a faith into our ministry, and God's gonna bless you, right? Yeah. World can see that. It's really sad. So the will say, well, what is the sign of the of your coming? What, what are these things going to be? In other words, the destruction of the temple, and what's the sign of your coming? And he just steps through all that. We don't have time to go through all that. Beginning of birth pains, the coming of the Son of Man. Uh, watch and pray. The ten virgins, remember that? That five were ready, five were not. The parable of talents. Uh, and the, the Son of Man's judgment. And then the last little bit here is, in the midst of all of this, somewhere woven in there, it's hard to be dogmatic about exactly when that is. Um, remember that we've already seen Judas really kind of the last is the so-called waste of that ointment, that oil. And, um, and I think it's pretty clear when you look at Matthew Mark's account compared to John that he didn't go right then. He didn't leave the meal right then. But that was brewing in his mind. And sometime during this period of time when Jesus is in the temple and all of that we just read is happening, Judas goes to the leadership and says, what can you give me if I help you in your conspiracy? Effectively. Right? He's looking for some money to get out of this thing. Because this is not the Messiah that he wants either. Okay, so that's a lot in there. John summarizes the whole thing. That's what I'm trying to point I'm trying to make again is our text 
really is just a summary of, of little snapshots of what Jesus said during that time that sort of summarizes his main message, what he's trying to get through to them, right? And it really comes down to um, those verses, which aren't in the line here, but verses 35 and 36. Let me just close with this. Hear this again, in those days in which he's doing this teaching, and he's even trying to get through to the leaders. <clears throat> you know, he's not trying to just insult them. He's trying to get through them, tell them the truth. The light, which is what? The truth, right? Mm -hmm. Is among you for a little while longer. That is, live in while you have the truth, lest darkness or deception overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. It's amazing how many times people the darkness is used through scripture. Yeah. I mean, the contrast. Yeah, because basically, their eyes will get adjusted to the dark, but if it's pitch black dark, yeah, they're not going to get adjusted. So we have to use what to get us to get around? The light. A light. audibly three times it happened in the gospels okay let's close in prayer these days here Jesus calls it his hour. His hour has come, right? It's, it's, come to, it's come to a head. Things have come to a head here with the nation. And in, in a sense, it comes to a head with each person yeah. uh, who's ever been born. And um, Eric is right that your Holy Spirit has to work in the hearts or we'll never see. And so um, I just, I thank you. First of all, uh, it's, it's one thing to have eyes that see, but you're walking in darkness. It's another thing to be in the light, but don't have eyes that see. Mm -hmm. Either way, you're in darkness. Mm -hmm. And and so both have to happen. And, and then we have to eyes and walk in darkness. And so uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful in the sense that you have provided this way. You, you did send light. He came. He's the light of the world, and he came the the way of salvation for all who will who will come. And yet, there's a there's a sense of of uh, the weight of the judgment there too for those like in that parable of the of the wedding and they're just too busy, and they make light of it and, and they dishonor the king and his son. And they don't have the same values. The father is here to honor the son, wants to give a, a, a feast and honor him. He wants a, a kingdom that honors his son, and yet we're too busy. And so, um, Father, just, uh, again, we pray for our culture, pray for our families, uh, that you would be worth hearts and help us and your patient. 
to be able to point others to the Lord, even in this Christmas season. Mm -hmm. Praise in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm.